Hey, folks, I'm Tom. Keith Jones here. Big thank you to the Dunlap Champions Club, longtime sponsors of Front Row Knowles. Football season is here, folks. If nothing else, do yourself a favor. Call 644-1830. Schedule a tour of the Champions Club if you haven't been in it yet. Or better yet, purchase a ticket to one game and sample it. Find somebody who's got a member. I don't think you can buy just one game ticket. Find somebody who has has a Champions Club ticket and go with them. Check it out. Once you do, you'll be hooked. It is a great place to watch a ball game, get the opportunity to get up, get out of. If there's any heat, if there's any weather whatsoever, you can go inside. Multiple TVs, food and drink. It's a wonderful wonderful place to catch an fsu football game air conditioning air conditioning too that's important reserve chair back seats uh, you can do a three-game package for uh, 6.99 uh, plus a booster membership of 70 dollars or more if you include the miami game in that but just call the number 644-1830 they'll tell you what options are available and you can go from there at this point you've got no other option than to listen to the rest of this program here's front row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles First Look with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Front Row Knowles, first look, Tom and KJ back with you. And Keith, I'm going to keep beating a dead horse here with this refrain, but it was a book that we have read before, or so we thought. And then, lo and behold, on this Choose Your Own Adventure, a new chapter got added with a much happier ending. A different ending. How about that? Didn't see that coming. I'm sitting there in the fourth quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, and I'm going deja vu all over again. I never saw the movie. What's the movie? We're, uh, Groundhog Day. Yeah, I never saw the movie, but I'm going, this must be what Groundhog Day looks like at least the movie version, <clears throat> pardon me, and lo and behold, Louisville goes up, scores, takes the lead, book's going like I think it will, and then the offense immediately comes back and answers, defense gets a stop, offense adds another score, and wow, looky there, happy, 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 Florida State's victorious. We talked about it during the game, we've talked about it all season long, we've talked about it on our show, Keith, really what this is, has been about for Florida State, because the two losses were one possession games. Somebody needed to make a play for Florida State just to let everybody relax and see that you can do it. And as it turned out, several guys made plays. You can talk about Cyrus Fagan. You can talk about Hornerbrook. You can talk about Terry. You can talk about DJ Matthews on that catch. When it was winning time, you can talk about the fact that uh, then Cam Akers finished it off. I mean, all these things mattered, and guys made plays. And you have a scenario that you would never want, that being your starting quarterback goes down. So your backup, who has not seen any action other than one series in the game in which he has to relieve the starter, um, he comes in, goes 15 for 20 for 252 yards and two touchdowns, and all of a sudden, maybe just maybe we have a quarterback controversy? I don't know. We'll see. I certainly will find out more. Uh, by the time you listen to this, FS, you may know more. You may know more about the status of James Blackman, who's headed for MRI on Sunday. Uh if it's nothing significant, then, yeah, maybe that is where this goes. And we'll, we'll develop that further when we talk about the offense and throughout the rest of the show. Uh, I thought it was, it was very similar. Good start to the game. Florida State looks like it was cruising. Honestly, and, and we can talk about the reasons why other teams are coming back. Some of it is adjustments at halftime. Some of it maybe has been players for Florida State taking the foot off the gas a little. I really thought this game was going to get completely out of hand were it not for the fake punt, however. I don't think this one was going to head the way it did if they just get them, get them off the field right before halftime and Louisville goes in with a goose egg. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about is that 
everybody else is seeing the Bryles offense for the first time. So maybe the defenses just need three or four or five series to see how it works and what it's really like. And it's not necessarily the, the halftime adjustments. It's just getting used to the tempo. And teams are doing that after the fourth or fifth time they face it in a game. I do think in that respect, it's very similar to facing an option team. The, the first couple possessions against Georgia Tech with Paul Johnson, it's a train wreck. And then you kind of right the ship and you figure it out and it gets better from there. So I do think you're onto something with that. And, and also, it also has to go, you know, Florida State's offense has not done anything in the second half. And again, repeating myself, for them to come back and, and have those two scores in the fourth quarter, I mean, proving to the kids and them proving to themselves that they can do it, which is something you and I have been preaching for two or three weeks now. They just need to see it on happen. They need to see it real. It, you know, it's kind of like, is it Christmas time? Is it Christmas? Oh, there is a. Oh, there is my present. You know, and I finally see it, and now I believe it. Maybe, just maybe, that will be the little bit of the linchpin that that moves them forward. I do think we have to give Bryles some credit, though, because I think he is during the week finding out how he can exploit defenses and capitalizing on it. Part of it's tempo. Then you have to give the opponents credit. They're figuring out, okay, here's how we can slow this down. It's the what's what football is. It's a chess match. And then Bryles and company try to punch back, and Florida State has tried to punch back, but you can see that there's been a lack of confidence, lack of belief from the players, because every one of them, save for the seniors, their career record is sub-500, if you, if you look at where it is right now. All you got to do is look at somebody like me that's been around the program for 40 years. All right, they're going to come in and they're going to run this up-tempo Gulf Coast offense. I don't know what that looks like. I've never seen it. I've seen it on tape. I've seen other people do it, but Florida State's never done it. Why are we doing it at Florida State? How does it really work? Will it work? And so in my mind, I'm going, is this the right thing to do? I know Coach Taggart's had success doing it. Obviously, Bryles now in the second year of Taggart has had success. But, you know, to use the good Wildwood term, I ain't seen it. You know, it's not been on Dope Campbell where in front of my eyes. And maybe just maybe some of the players are saying the same thing. Well, now as we begin to see it, and we saw an aspect of it that, that we had talked about. They actually slowed down a drive in the fourth quarter. Had a 10-play, four-and-a-half-minute drive on, on purpose, intentionally, running out the clock. Well, yeah, you can manipulate a little bit, and you can do this, and you can go fast, and, and then you can slow it down. And we're all starting to see what this offense can really do, and, and that's making believers, hopefully, out of all of us, including the players. Yeah, when the offense is going, it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, you know, another part of it is Florida State, and we're going to continue to talk about this because it's true. There are deficiencies on the offense. The offensive line is not as good as what you would like to have, and so uh, the running game, is, despite Cam Akers, is not as good as what you'd like it to be because it's a fight, and credit Louisville, they played hard. Akers ran for over 100 yards, but he averaged 3.9 yards a carry. I mean, it's a struggle, and so sometimes you're in second and nine, and if your line's a little bit better, maybe you're in second and six. And of those 112 plus or minus yards he had, about 111 of them were after contact um, because he was getting hit and sometimes dropped for, for losses or right at the line of scrimmage because of some inefficiency in that offensive line. Okay, let's listen to Willie Taggart, his comments after Florida State got a much-needed win to even things up at 2-2 two and two on the season, and then we'll do as we always do. We'll talk offense, defense, and uh, everything else in that final segment. But here is Coach Taggart after Florida State defeated Louisville 35-24. to Big win for our football team. Um, proud of this football team. Um, each week we keep improving and 
for our guys to come here and play the way they did and play for four quarters and find a way to win the ball game was, was big for our football team, much needed win for our football team. And um, again, it's always great to play in Doe Campbell and great to have our fans there to help help us along the way. So uh, great win for the Nose. Willie, you guys uh, obviously had a lot of adversity to battle back from. What did you see from your team, especially in the fourth quarter? Uh, they kept fighting. The guys just kept fighting. And uh, we had some playmakers that stepped up and made some big plays for us when, when we needed them to make the play. You think about the catch DJ Matthews made was, was big. And the play that uh, um, Terry had there in the fourth quarter was big for us. They just got guys just kept playing. They didn't get down on themselves. And uh, they made the plays that we needed to make. Will you being much needed, I guess. What, what do you think this win could do for the team moving forward, given how close you guys have been the last few weeks and, and having heartbreak? What can this finishing, I guess, do for you? Well, just uh, showing, like I said a minute ago, our guys are showing that they're improving. Um, each week, our guys have improved. Um, again, it hadn't been as fast as we like, but for them to go out and put a complete game together was, was big for our team and, and big for our confidence moving forward. And uh, we got to build off of it now. Talk about Hornerbrook, uh, his game, the way he played. Uh, Alex came in and did, did a good job for us. You know, he came in uh, the third series of the game and, and led our team down and scored a touchdown. And, and then when James got hurt, for him to come in and, and lead our team um, was, was big for it. I think it showed uh, his experience and, and, um, and how mature he is. But, uh, the game went too big for him. The moment went too big for him. Uh, he was ready for it. And again, it's another example of our football team with guys stepping up when that opportunity comes. And uh, it's so important. We always tell our guys that you never know. You got to be ready. And uh, I'm proud the young man was ready for this opportunity. I uh, wouldn't know more of that tomorrow. Um, he's got to get an MRI on it. Uh, it's good to see him walking on it right now. So I uh, know it's, it's neat. Coach, you held uh, Louisville to 2.6 yards per carry. They're a really good rushing team coming in. You guys struggle with it against the run a little early on. What what is kind of what's changed? What did you guys do better this week to slow down the run? Uh, we, like I said earlier, we just getting better at the football team, understanding our mistakes and game previous games, and our guys are um, uh, correcting them the next game. Again, early uh, first three ball game, there was always something different that was coming up was hurting our team and. Uh, I felt like our guys improved each week, and whether it's standing in their gaps or lining up right, and um, and then having a the mentality of stopping the run, and uh, they did a good job of stopping Louisville's run game. Coach, you know penalties have been um, big on your list of things that you wanted to correct over the last few weeks. Five for thirty-six. Just uh, how pleased are you with that performance? I'm excited. Uh, again, another area of improvement, and we know. Um, I said last week how penalty cost us in the game, and when we don't have them, then we got a chance to win ball games. When we don't turn the ball over, you got a chance to win ball games, and our guys play some winning football tonight. Coach, we saw Jaden go down and look like he had an air cast put on. Do you have any official word on? on no, we'll know more from uh, Jaden tomorrow morning as well. Uh, we saw Alex before the injury down front. Oh, there you go. Right. We saw before the injury. We saw Alex get a couple series. I guess what was the kind of the reasoning behind kind of giving him some some series? And how, do you think it might have helped him when he kind of got thrown into the game that he'd been in and had a little success? Um, no, I thought Alex would go ahead and play well regardless of when he went in. And um, the reason we did it, we wanted to. You know, we wanted to get him some reps and get in there and 
uh, knew he'll do a good job. So um, he did exactly what we thought he would do. I think uh, Samarian's touched on. I think that was the first time he touched the ball today. It seemed like maybe he was kind of having, going through a tougher stretch than, than he had been earlier. Um, how has he been doing, and, and how big do you think that play could, could be for him? Um, uh, Terry's been doing well. You know, um, he's been a great teammate. Um, again, he like any other receiver, he would want the ball more and get it to him more. And uh, thing I'm proud of him that. Again, he went the whole game not getting the ball, but he, he stayed locked into the game and uh, made, a, made a couple catches for us there in the fourth quarter that was much needed for our football team. So, again, he could have easily been frustrated that he wasn't getting the ball and, and piled it, uh, but he decided to be a great teammate and, and be ready when his, when his name was called. And sure enough, he was ready. Uh, uh, Cyrus waited a long time to come up and make the play. Things. That was huge. You know, we talked to our guys about somebody stepping up and make a play. You know, when things aren't going our way, we need someone to step up and make a play. And um, it's great to see uh, Cyrus uh, make that play for us. And Cyrus has been having a, a really good – he had a good training camp. He's He's been totally different this season and been locked in to, to being a better player. And he's it's really paying off for us and paying off for him as well. And uh, like I said, it was great for him to get that, that interception and much needed. And Willie, after you took the lead, uh, the defense got a quick uh, – they got two really two stops at the end of the game. How positive is that moving forward, uh, what your defense did after the pick by Cyrus Fagan to finish out the game and close out the game? I thought it was positive just the way our guys played overall uh, defensively. And like I said, they did a great job against the run, um, gave up a couple um, big pass play, but for the most part they, they played – football and defense the way you're supposed to play it and again to be able to come up with those stops when we needed it um, that's an improvement for our, our defense and in um, our football team so uh, that's what we expect out of those guys and, and we need them to continue to play that way and I think they will. So the comments of coach Willie Taggart and you know he talked about it the team needed to experience winning I don't want to make this sound like they beat the Patriots they didn't beat the 85 Bears Louisville's in the first year of a new head coach. They, they've bought into the coach. They're going to be better this year than they were last year, but they're not a great football team. All that said, this is about FSU getting a win. And what can you do with that from here? And this is about FSU believing in themselves and achieving that win. And again, there's nothing that is a better teacher and a better motivator than that tape. When you've won a ball game and had success and you go back on Sunday and Monday and look at the things that you've done and the coach could say, now look, see, since last spring and all during fall camp, we were telling you if you did this, this, and this, that would happen. Well, run it back, run it back. There's that, then this happened, then this person did that, and bingo, we scored a touchdown. There's no better teaching tool than them, they themselves on tape doing what they've been coached to do, and seeing success. I thought the last two weeks have been pretty clean. The only true, I'm sure I'm missing something, the only true bust I can think of was after Lars Woodby went out and Gaynor passed off the running back and probably should have stayed with him and he was open for like a 30-yard, or maybe I'm missing something. But point being, the last two weeks, the run fits have been better. Guys have gotten beaten for catches or scores, but they were there, which is better than not being there, so I think we're making progress. It, it, you cannot make a play as a defensive back if you're not in the proper position and using proper technique. On both of the touchdowns, 
the defensive back was there. Now they've got to make a play. Now that's what this that's what differentiates a a a, a, a Dion or a Leroy or a, you know a world class defensive back. They make the plays from the get go. The younger guys, average guys, they've got to get beat a time or two, so that they they start honing in and paying attention and doing what they need to do. And I suspect now that the defensive backs are in a much better position, that making the play will come on down the road. And you don't have to be a world-class. Maybe being an upperclassman helps, too. I mean, one of them was Asante Samuel. One of them was Dent, who's a freshman, and I forget who the last one was or when there was pass interference. And that was Samuel, too. They could call for pass interference. So, I mean, it takes reps. It takes uh, getting burned and getting up, dusting yourself off and doing it again. And I really didn't have a huge problem with the pass interference call because that that receiver was wide open because the quarterback had been scrambling. And Samuels ran a long way just to get there. And it's in the end zone. It's only a 15-yard penalty, and they're throwing it from the 40. I got no problem with that penalty. And let me amend that. Samuel got called for a hold going into the end zone. I don't recall offhand the pass interference, but we'll sort that out. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I think despite the uh, the big question, which is the quarterback question, we probably owe it to the defense to talk them first. What do you think? We'll go defense first. We'll go defense first when we continue on Front Row Knowles' first look. Front Row Knowles' first look is presented by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles' first look, Tom and KJ with you. All right, got to talk defense, but uh, – First of all, we got to talk about our good friends at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Got to make a little money here. Cornerstone Tool and Fastener is your location for all of your tool needs. It's where all the pros and do-it-yourself workers shop. Big box pricing with local service. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Tallahassee location open on Saturdays from 8 a.m. until noon. Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Do you think if you took all the tools at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener and you kind of chiseled away, which is not to say that he's got the figure of a Greek god, but could you sculpt a Marvin Wilson? Because he's pretty doggone good. That guy's a football player, Keith. Well, first of all, you'd have to have the industrial size tools. You're not going to do those with the things that you get at the big box stores. Uh, I thought he played, if not, if not the best game of his Florida State career, uh, maybe a top three. I think he ended up with, what, 10 tackles, had a couple of sacks. Uh, and I thought he and, and Cooper and, and uh, uh, what's the Durden. other, Durden, the three of them, and I know they ran a lot of 4-3 and, and they ran a lot of 3-4 and they make some of their 3-4 look like a 4-3 when they walk up an outside edge or, line, or star player. But I thought the three interior linemen played their best game of their entire careers together. Uh, they they did not give up much of anything up the middle. They got pressure on the quarterback, as mentioned, had a couple of sacks. Uh, I thought the the interior defensive line had an outstanding ball game Saturday night in Doak. Marvin Wilson's line for a defensive lineman: ten tackles, two sacks, three and a half tackles for loss, and the fumble recovery on the last play of the game, which. Technically didn't matter. Louisville was down two scores, but it just seemed kind of fitting that he's the guy that fell on it after the comedy of errors when nobody else would get on it. 
Yeah, that did look like a little bit of a circus, didn't it? That ball scooted out of there about four or five different uh, if, if piles. It was, if it was still a one-possession game, we all would have been sweating that yep. the fastest guy in the field for Louisville was going to pick it up. There's no question, no question. But, yeah, defensively, uh, they held Louisville. Uh, Cardinals were averaging about 260 a game on the ground. They held them 110, 115 yards under that. Uh, both of the running backs, which were so uh, appropriately hyped, had I think one had 52 and one had 57 yards. Uh, you know, the quarterback ran uh, 17 times on his own, and though he did hurt Florida State a little bit at times, nothing of, of grave consequence. Uh, I thought this was as good a, a defensive performance, certainly as we've seen uh, this year, and I thought they, they did the things and there was improvement in the things that we were feeling like were, were weaknesses from last week to this week. They didn't have penalties. Uh, they didn't get gashed in the run. Uh, they did give up some touchdown passes, but as we've talked about, the defensive backs were in position. Now they just got to make a play while they're in position. But I was well pleased with the defensive effort. Yeah, I thought it was a good effort. And I thought when we talked leading up to the game, Keith, we knew Louisville was going to run the football. We talked about the way to, you know, you got to stop the run and force the quarterbacks who may prove to be great passers later in their career. And I say quarterbacks because we weren't sure which one was going to play. But at this point in their career, the better way is to force them to, you know, take away their run and make them beat you over the top. Well, he did that a time or two, but then came winning time, as we talked about, and there was the errant throw, and Florida State made a play when they needed it. And and that was a little bit of what we've been talking about all along, about the, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, needing a spark, needing a spark. And that was a big, big play because uh, Louisville was going in for six. Uh, and they were, they were going to score on that drive the way their offense was clicking. That interception happened on what the 15-yard line plus or minus. So uh, that was that was a big big moment in that ball game. Well, and it led to the next drive, which Florida State uh, got the game winner. And we'll talk about that next segment. Uh, rest of the defense. So let's go back to the point you made about to to be a defensive player, to be a DB. First thing you got to do is be in the right place. So at least we're getting there on that. Um, your your general thoughts just to, just to go a little bit deeper on that in terms of what you're seeing from the secondary right now. Well, the the kids are being taught differently than the way I grew up, and and that's that's just a philosophical change. But but getting their head back around for the ball is not something that is high on the priority in in most defenses now. What they like, and we've talked about this before, what they they like is for the kids to watch the reaction of the receiver, and when their eyes get big or they put their hands up, you put your hands up. I, I never was taught to play that way. I never did play that way. So I don't know if I could have done it. Don't know what it would have done to my play if I had. I just know it doesn't always look good because all of us old timers are going, get your head back around the ball. Well, if they're not being taught that way, then we've got to focus in on what it is that they're being taught. And in both cases, if you go back and look at it, both players got their hands up. Okay. They just didn't get to the ball. Uh, I thought the long pass, the 70-yard pass, it looked to me like the ball actually hit the receiver in the face mask and then bounced into his hands. I thought at the time of the play that the defensive back had, had, had batted the ball, had a, had a PBU pass breakup. But, and then, unfortunately, it hit, landed in his hands. But we'd go back and look at it if we need to. But they were there. All right? There's been times in the prior three ball games that the, they weren't there. So I'm going to take a, a victory that they were doing what they needed to do to be there, and now they got to work on making the play, however they're being taught. Okay, the linebacker position, obviously it would appear that Jaden Lars would be is going to be gone for a while just based on the fact that uh, he returned to the field 
jersey on but in a wheelchair and, and leg in a cast. Again, I don't know the time frame on that. Um, so more than how he looked outside, how did Leonard Warner look to you moving back inside? I thought he played well. I mean, I didn't specifically key on him, so I don't have a grade for him. But uh, I thought he did a much better job at filling. You know, they talked about gap soundness and, and you know, staying in your gap and working inside out and the other things that they teach. I thought he did real well. I thought the young kids that got in, 33, uh, Gainer was uh, was seeing his first playing time. Uh, you know, everybody's going to fault him for getting beat on that little wheel route to the tight end, but that's the same play that Virginia scored on last week. You know, we, we forget there were times when we would all just scratch our head with Mickey Andrews' defense because some way, somehow, particularly Miami, would always find a way to get a tight end wide open against Mickey's defense. Well, we got a we got an issue in certain alignments with this wheel route, whether it be an H-back, a tight end, or a back getting out. And, and that needs to be looked at and changed up a little bit. Well, so Warner last week when he was outside, he was in coverage. He's just not as fast as the guy for Virginia that caught it. Gaynor on Saturday against Louisville just lost track of the fact that his was that was his responsibility. And that was after he went in when Lars Woodby went out. And he did what all young players did. He was... I believe they were in man coverage. If they weren't, that, that's another story. But he, he let his eyes get back inside, and he lost sight of where the person he was responsible for went. Because it's very natural, because nine times out of ten, when they run that little out route, that little flat route, they stay there. That's why going out and up, i.e. the wheel route, is successful when you can pull it off. Well, that's youth. That's him not being experienced because he just had that bit, that many reps. I thought physically he handled himself well, though. Yeah, I think he's got a bright upside for sure. Uh, the, the the downside is this is two straight weeks. You've got significant injuries. You lost Kando last week. It would appear Lars Woodby is done for the season. I don't know. that. Again, that's an assumption on my part. I guess the upside there, if you want to look at it, which seems strange to use that word, this was game four. So both of them are eligible for a medical hardship if, uh, you know, if, if you project that forward. So better than game five or six. Yes, and you do have some youngsters, Gaynor being one of them, you do have some youngsters, Rice and others, that you're just going to have to play. And we've been calling for that anyway. Uh, if the upperclassmen are not going to perform, we've been calling for that anyway. So, you know, not the way you would want to do it. You'd like to do it on your own time frame, but you're forced to do it. Therefore, you don't have to think about it. You just get it done. I want to go back to that fake punt Louisville executed because you can be in punt safe. And uh, and obviously Florida State wasn't, and I guess it's because it was fourth and eight. If it's fourth and three or four, you're probably in punt safe, but you just kind of figured fourth and eight, they're not going to do that. Well, plus the ball was plus or minus the 50. I mean, obviously if it's on the, the negative 30 versus the, your 30, you, you know, if it's on your 30, you're looking for the fake more because it's just, just outside the place kicker's distance. But about the 50-yard line, that's, I mean, that's, you know, flip a coin. Uh, fourth and eight is a very gutsy call. They they didn't get the first down by much, so it wasn't like the punt receiving team wasn't prepared or aware of what was going on. They just executed pretty well, and it, it came as a surprise to me too. I didn't think they'd do it in that situation. Trying to think. This is the – well, clearly, and we can talk about this later, but this was the worst Florida State has performed on special teams. If you throw that in, and that might be more on the defense, but – uh, you also had a kick return for a touchdown that was taken away by a block in the back. I'd have to look at the tape. Maybe the block in the back is why it was a kick return for a touchdown. And then you had Aguayo missing field goals, which there's not a lot we can say. The only thing I can add is it was windy, and it wasn't a consistent wind. It was blowing left to right, 
and two minutes later it was blowing right to left and then in between. So I, I think that just got in his head and he couldn't figure out how to compensate for it. And, you know, and, and I've never been one to be able to figure out kickers. Kickers are just strange, strange individuals. And, uh, you know, whoever's working with Ricky uh, is going to just have to sit down and they're going to have to go through the things that they go through. Uh, we know his leg is plenty strong. We know he's not getting pushed up the middle and worried about it getting blocked. Um, but, you know, the, the, the second one, um, he just pulled badly left. And I think you're exactly right. I think you'd much like standing on the tee box, you know, after you've sprayed one to the right and sprayed the second one to the right, you're on the number three tee box, you overcompensate, you hook it left. He did what, what, what golfers do. Plus, you pick up a blade of grass and it blows to the right, and then you pick up another one and it blows to the left, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, it was that kind of day. Um, all right, we'll take a break. We'll come back and talk about the offense. The, uh, the question is, is Alex Hornerbrook now the quarterback, or is it James Blackman, or is it two quarterbacks? So that's a lot of questions, and we'll address them all when we continue on Front Row Knowles' First Look. Front Row Knowles' First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Florida State beats Louisville 35-24, to the final score. Come from behind fashion for the Knowles, although it didn't look like they'd have to do that when they got up 21-0. So uh, let, let's go back early on. Obviously, it was an impressive start for Florida State. Uh, Cam Akers had to fight for his yards most of the game, but I think it was the first play of the game. He got 17 yards, and Florida State uh, goes down and gets some points early on. And then Alex Hornerbrook comes in on the third series and goes two plays for a touchdown. First pass he throws in an FSU career. He found a, a wide-open Keyshawn Helton who took it to the house. Only the second time, as we were told in the press box, only the second time in Florida State history that a quarterback's first pass went for a touchdown. The prior one was Clint Trickett. And uh, if I remember cor correctly, it moved his dad so much that the Mr. Krusty, the Marine, was over on the sidelines with tears in his eyes after that completion. Side note, that was against Oklahoma, if I'm thinking of the right one. And uh, it went to Rashad Green and is about as loud as Doe Campbell's ever gotten at that point when FSU was coming back on Oklahoma. I, I believe you're correct. Absolutely correct. I thought the offense looked very, very good. Uh, I think the first series they went three and out, and then they scored touchdowns on, on series two, three, and four. Two was led by Blackman, three led by Hornerbrook, and then Blackman comes right back and leads them down to another score. You're up 21 nothing at in the first quarter. And back, as we talked about in the first segment, you know, you're kind of flipping ahead. Is this the way the book ends? Because we've seen this a time or two. Well, so let's just jump right into that. I mean, because the easy comparison to do, and this is, it's, it, in some respects, it's apples and oranges because last week was on the road, better football team at Virginia. But if you simplify it down to fourth quarter last week and fourth quarter this week, there were throws that Blackman missed last week. There were throws that Hornerbrook made this week. Again, small sample size, but that's really what the coaches are going to have to think about. What you get with Hornerbrook is someone that's won, won more games already in his career than anybody else in that locker room. He's a grad transfer from Wisconsin. He's been in big games. We mentioned during, uh, Gene mentioned and William mentioned during the broadcast that, you know, he was the MVP of the, of the um, um, Orange, Bowl. Orange Bowl a couple of years ago when they beat Miami in Miami's own backyard. Um, he's older. Uh, he, he's, he's been through winters. He knows what snow is. You know, we, we, we're spoiled down here. Uh, he, he has a feel about him and an aura about him that the kids are learning to 
um, warm up to. And now, now James is still the leader of that team in the locker room. There's no question about that. But this is not a, a competition for player loyalty or for player um, affection. Hornibrook went out and helped them win a ball game. Everything else, whether you like shooting pool with this guy, eating wings with him, or hanging out in the library and studying, winning trumps all of that. So he's he's uh, made himself known to this team. Is it still Blackman's team? Yes. But I think you feel very, very comfortable with Hornerbrook as your backup, knowing that if James uh, doesn't make the improvements that he needs to make in the areas that he needs to make them, i.e. decision-making, that you can trust Alex to come in, and we've already seen what his decisions look like. More on that in a minute. Let me just talk about the Blackman situation. He stayed in the tent for a while. Then he came back out, got on the bike, gingerly rode the bike, threw the football for a little bit, tried to jog, was limping a little bit, and obviously was in some discomfort. At that point, they shut him down for the day. They put an ice pack on his knee, and he was done. He went and was a great cheerleader, was right there, was doing what he always does. Uh, and so, on the one hand, you can say maybe he's going to be fine. On the other hand, the way this works, they're going to do an MRI, I guess, or look at that knee. And as we record this, we don't know the results. And you just never know what that's going to show. I would say this, though. If it shows nothing, Blackman probably is going to need a couple days to get that knee feeling better, if not a week. And you have an open week coming up after NC State. So in that scenario, unless Blackman is 100% on Monday, which I don't think is the case, it feels to me like the, the play will end up being Hornerbrook's going to get the start against NC State. You go through a bye week, and, and then Blackman perhaps comes back, and then you're having to make that decision. If you're on the offensive staff at Florida State, the best news you can get is that we need to sit Blackman for a week because of the way the MRI reads. Then we don't have this discussion. But if he is cleared and he's back to 100% on Tuesday, uh, you know, the players work out on Sunday, Monday's off, they'll be back at practice on Tuesday, um, then my inclination is Blackman is your starter. But if he can't go, you're certainly now very comfortable with Hornerbrook being your starter. Now, will Alex treat the week differently? I don't think so. He's been a starter for 30-something games at Wisconsin, however long it was. He knows what that's like. So I think you're in a very good position either way that that injury report comes back. The thing I hate, and you alluded to it, and this is the fear, a player can come out of that injury tent, they can walk around, they can jog, it can be okay doesn't feel right, but it's okay. And then you go in and do that MRI, and it's torn or shredded, and you got to go in and fix it. And, and that would be the worst-case scenario for James, for this team, for everybody. Uh, and it's not out of the realm of possibility, unfortunately. In the fourth quarter, Jordan Travis was getting loose, warming up, just because he's an ankle sprain away from being the guy. So think about where Florida State is right now compared to after Francois left when you were wondering who the quarterbacks were going to be. And lo and behold, there's Hornerbrook and Travis, at least uh, for that game. So let's go back to Hornerbrook. 15 of 20, but let's think about the five that he missed. One or two of them were drops by Cam Akers, and the other three may have been throwaways. <laughs> I think they were. I mean, I don't think he had a bad pass counting the throwaways as throwaways. I don't think he had a bad pass all night. Uh, threw for 252 yards, we mentioned that. Threw for two touchdowns, we mentioned that. I don't know what he could have done better. Uh, he ran the ball a couple of times on the RPO. He scrambled out of the pocket a couple of times when he had pressure. He wasn't sacked. Um, I mean, he is a very gutsy guy. Uh, 
And I say this tongue-in-cheek, Tom. You and I have talked about this already. Our listeners need to be aware of it. But once he starts getting some publicity, you know, he was finally interviewed. You had him on the radio show for the network. And then after the uh, after the ball game, he, you know, he'll be posted on videos and some other things on the local television. He's a good-looking kid. He's very well-spoken. He's very articulate. I mean, this town this town is going to fall in love with Alex Hornibrook, not to the detriment of James, because we're all in love with his enthusiasm and his his toughness and his work ethic. But this town's going to fall in love with Alex because he is the prototypical, picturesque, good-looking, well-spoken starting quarterback, maybe. And if he's not, he's number two, and we all know who the favorite player on any team is, is the backup quarterback. Yeah, the student section was chanting Hornybrook, Hornybrook after that first touchdown, you know. Um, So it'll be interesting. And, you know, uh, it's – well, I don't want to speculate further. We've already speculated enough. We don't know what Blackman's situation is. What I will say that's noticeable with Hornibrook, he's decisive. He gets the ball out quickly, or he tucks it and runs quickly, or he he buys as much time as he can, but when it's time to throw it away, he throws it away. And there was a bubble screen, by the way, that if he'd have thrown it late in the game, it might have been a pick six the other way. He recognized that he tucked the ball and ran for two yards. You're second and eight instead of down another seven. And thank you for bringing up that play because I had forgotten about it. That That might have been the biggest play of the ball game. It may be bigger than the touchdown throw to Terry. Might have been bigger than the third down catch by DJ. Uh, that might have been the biggest play of the ball game when you go back and look at it in the sum total, because because it was a pick six written all over it, and he pulled down. Put another way, to be fair to James, who's not as he's not as experienced as what Hornibrook is. I mean, he started two years ago, didn't play much at all last year, and now the third offensive coordinator. We talked about it. Hornibrook looks like the guy that he is. He's been in pressure situations. He's been through it, and so he processes it a little more quickly uh, than Blackman does. Blackman, if you think about some of the illegal man downfield, it's from pump faking. He waits just a split second too long, and this is not this is not uncommon for quarterbacks. You're throwing the football, and you're waiting, waiting to see if he's open, but you have to anticipate and make that throw. And and, he, and Blackman's got a better arm than Hornerbrook, but I think Alex has been there, done that, and he can recognize it and make the call. Again, short sample size. Well, but but the sample size is indicative of the experience and what, what you're speaking I mean, I mean short sample size for me watching him at FSU. Right, but his sample size is huge if you go back and look at the tape at Wisconsin, obviously. The way I would address that or explain that, every quarterback has to have that internal clock. they got to have that internal clock in their head where they know I've taken too long or I've got to get out or I've got to make something happen. Well, you develop that internal clock by getting clocked, if that makes any sense. You develop that clock by getting sacked and by getting hit. Well, Hornerbrook's got four years of getting sacked and getting hit, okay? Blackman is in year three, hasn't even completed it. Hornerbrook has completed four years. I don't know if where the, the dividing line is, but Hornerbrook has that internal clock that James will develop, but only after he gets more experience. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Apologies there. I, uh, trying to think of re- other things offensively. Let's move off the quarterbacks. Uh, Keyshawn Helton, you know, he was the buzz of fall camp. He got an opportunity last week with D.J. Matthews out. And even though D.J. had a huge catch in this game, which was key to Florida State's victory, uh, it, Keyshawn led the team in receiving and looks like he's going to, you know, maybe be the guy that ends up getting more of the snaps there. He continues to be a guy that doesn't do bad things when the football gets in his hands. 
He does good things when the football gets in his hands. And, and, and every time he catches it, you just hold your breath because there may be something big fixing to happen. Anything else we've missed on offense? I mean, obviously, Gabe Neighbors had some nice catches out of the backfield. Uh, Trey McKitty had a nice catch at one point. Tamari and Terry, you know, he didn't have a lot of catches. He did draw a key pass interference penalty in the first half, which led to a touchdown. Obviously caught the game-winning touchdown. I didn't see any glaring mistakes by the offensive line. Um, that That is another positive. We had the two uh, pre-snap penalties on Bavion, the center, which I didn't really understand. He, I guess he double-clitched the, the center, the snap or something, because uh, the umpire threw both of those flags. Uh, but I thought the offensive line took another step forward. They are not great. They are not going to be great. But they took another step forward and being adequate and not being a, an Achilles heel, so to speak. Um, and I liked, I think Bryles is comfortable in the play calling. They didn't hesitate on the one-fourth down they went for. Um, you know, they're getting to the line. I, again, repeating myself, I was very impressed that when they needed to slow down, they were able to accomplish that, particularly on that scoring drive that we've mentioned. Uh, Ten plays, four and a half minutes. That's just, you don't do that in a Bryles offense. But he did it intentionally, and the players responded. I thought it was a, just a very good offense, uh, 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 effort by the offense. like to have some points in the second or third quarter, but I'll take the win. There's more I want to talk about, but we need to take a break. We'll come back and clean it up in our final segment here on Front Row Knowles First Look. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. We continue on Front Row Knowles First Look. Tom and KJ back with you. Wanted to clean up some more on the offense, but I can't remember what it is right at this point, KJ. So it'll come back to me somewhere down the line. I mean, we'll take it. I do feel like 35 points is about where FSU is going to have to get the rest of the season to have a chance to win. What do you think? Well, speaking of performance and speaking of offense, why don't we just do the Prime Meridian Bank performance of the so game? That, that would be fine. Just don't answer my question. We'll bump that. Go ahead and do this. I'll answer it in a moment. Obviously, our performance of the game goes to Alex Hornerbrook. As we've mentioned, 15 of 20, 252 yards, two touchdowns, uh, showed some great uh, resiliency, showed a great command of the offense. Uh, I think Florida State is in a very good position when it comes to their quarterback position. Speaking of performance, by the way, Primary Bank was just named one of the best banks to work for by American Banker Magazine. Want to bank where they greet you by name? Smiling faces that offer you coffee and a cookie when you walk in the door? That's what I call a great performance. Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Member FDIC, offices in Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland are on the web at trymybank.com. All right. The end of the game, Keith, you make a field goal. The old rule goes, and then there's a penalty. You don't take points off the board. Both of us are in agreement that in this scenario, you do take points off the board, and that was the right way to go. Normally you see this when uh, the kicker makes a 47-yard field goal and it's it's fourth and eight and you kick the field goal and it's good and they rough the, the kicker. Well, now the ball is at plus or minus the 32. You're going to get the, the, the 15 yards. You're going to move it up to the 17. It's going to be first and 10 because it's an automatic first down, but you're on the 17-yard line. Okay. Well, in this case, the ball was already on the two or the one and a half. So what you're, what you're getting with the penalty is a first down. So now you got four times. Yeah, you, could, you probably could fumble the exchange. Yeah, you could fumble the handoff to the running back, or the running back could fumble after he got, uh, got hit. But chances are that close you're going to be able to find the end zone. 
So I have absolutely no problem with taking the points off in that situation. It's the other situations that call coaches, cause coaches to pull out their hair, have gray hair or no hair. Uh, this one was a pretty easy call in my, my estimation. And it made it a two-score game. It actually was the perfect scenario because it took them a couple plays to get in. I mean, they just drained the clock. Well, they made Louisville use all their timeouts so that when Louisville did get the ball down, not only were they down more than two scores, they didn't have any timeouts left. So it worked out beautifully for uh, for Florida State. Uh, and I thought it was a legitimate call. We talk about sometimes FSU gets lucky or unlucky with the calls. Uh, I thought that one was, was definite. The pass interference calls, that the call that we talked about earlier in the end zone, uh, was legitimate. Uh, I don't think from a referee standpoint, Florida State faithful has got a whole lot to, to be upset about with this crew. I do think if you're talking about the ball bouncing the right way, Florida State was fortunate. I forget what drive it was, but it started with a tip ball that D.J. Matthews caught that he did a great job of going to get the football because if he doesn't, the DB is going to have an interception there, and that wound up being a touchdown. Uh, there were some other things. I mean, it, you know, it's not a round ball. It bounces differently sometimes. I'm not saying it was a lucky win for Florida State, but there were some fortuitous things that happened. Well, one of the balls that Tamari and Terry caught that he then subsequently fumbled and they went to review and it wasn't a fumble, that ball was actually tipped at the line of scrimmage. So, uh, yeah, there was some fortunate bounces and, and deflections and the way. But, you know, that's that's ball. Uh, now, now I'm using Jimbo's phrase. That's ball. You just got to play through those. Uh, and Florida State was fortunate enough that they came out on the right end of those and they played through them correctly. Speaking of that's ball, Tamari and Terry's knee was down, but I bet, and you couldn't determine this on the review, you probably could have slid a sheet of notebook paper underneath that knee before the ball moved. It, it was close. It was close, but, um, again, it wasn't close enough to overturn. Let's talk about that touchdown to Terry, though. So it's a corner blitz. And the whole stadium recognizes how wide open he is. And I guess, and you would know, you played this position. It's tough for me to tell ground level. The safety just didn't rotate over to cover it up. He missed the, he missed the call. I'm assuming he missed the call uh, because certainly somebody should have been over there. And think about this. And this is where, the, the, this is where folks that are on the edge that you know think we need a quarterback change or that, that Blackman, uh, you know, because he, he doesn't make the reads correctly, needs to be replaced. And, and here's the new guy. And of course, everybody's 100% positive on the new guy. But, and, and, and in both times, we're in the fourth quarter, and Florida State is moving left to right on your television uh, screen and your radio dial, and, and Blackman misses Terry in Charlottesville, and Hornerbrook recognizes and hits Terry in Tallahassee. And that's going to be what generates a whole bunch of the conversation and will fuel some of the quarterback controversy that I'm sure on either side is going to come about as they get ready for NC State. I think this goes back to the experience thing, though, because what's happened with James when we talked about it, maybe it's panic, maybe that's too strong a word, but he speeds up and hurries. He did it on the third down throw. I got to get this ball to McKitty, boom, and then he didn't step into it. Man. Terry on the double move is wide open, and he throws a line drive instead of sailing it out there. Hornerbrook's been there, done that. And, again, the guy's played a quarter and a half of football in his FSU career. I realize it's a short sample size, so I don't want to anoint him as the next Heisman-winning quarterback at FSU. But you can just kind of sense that he's been there. He lets it breathe. The game has slowed down for him is the phrase that you hear coaches use. Coach Bryles said to you in your interview for the network pregame show, that maybe James panics occasionally. 
Wasn't that his phrase? That's I think that's, he he used the word. That's the word that his coach used. That's not terrible. That's not a horrible thing. I, I'd rather have a kid that panics than has no feeling. But that is something that James needs to work on. Hornerbrook is already there. There are other things that James does because of physical talent that are better than Hornerbrook. They two complement each other in many respects. Now you know you've got, uh, you know, if James isn't playing well, you can go to Alex. The other thing that it does, Tommy, we don't like talking about this. Former players recognize it, but and, and listeners have heard me say it over and over again. There, and I've, I've beat that dead horse unrecognizable. But for three years, I had, I, I had a Gary Henry right behind me, and he was going to take my job if I didn't perform that day in practice and if I didn't perform during that game. And now James knows that we've got Alex. Trust me. He'll begin to redouble his efforts. He'll pay more attention. James Blackman will get better because Alex Hornerbrook had an opportunity to perform. Is there any kind of scenario, and you talk about your days with Gary Henry, but you also had, you know, Jimmy Jordan and Wally Woodham, and we went back and forth on quarterbacks, and that's a little before my time, so I don't know if their skill sets were that different. You can speak to that. But do you think we end up in a scenario where both the quarterbacks play because they both do things a little differently and that even though the, the defenses would know that on tape, gives them more to prepare for and it's still a different feel if it unfolds that way in a game? First of all, and again, we don't know Blackman's injury status, folks, as we're recording this. Uh, to answer your question, Jimmy and Wally did have different skill sets. Wally was much more of a precision passer. Jimmy was much more downfield. In fact, they called Jimmy the rifleman. And, 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 and Wally would dunk and dink you to death. But having said that, the game is far different 40 years fast forward. I believe the adage today that if you're playing two quarterbacks, if you have two starting quarterbacks, you have no starting quarterback. So, no, I'm not prepared to go to a two-headed quarterback. I'm not prepared to go to um, rotating uh, series. I'm just prepared to occasionally give Hornerbrook an opportunity to get some playing time to keep him sharp. It's James's club until he loses the job. And if and when he loses the job, then Alex becomes the starter and James becomes the backup. You never answered my question at the start of this segment. Is 35 points where FSU has to get every week to have a chance to win? Um, right now, maybe. Um, I think it'll be about double that if you want to beat Clemson, but that's another conversation for another day. I think against NC State, 30 or 35 is probably going to be necessary unless and until that defense continues to make consistent market improvement. They did that against um, uh, against Louisville this, this game uh, as opposed to the Virginia game, but they're nowhere near being where you can expect them to hold opponents to 7 or 14 points. So, no. Uh, so, well, yes. I think 35 points, at least for the near term, might be the number. And we'll give the disclaimer again. Just check the Big 12 scoreboard, folks. Big 12 games are not Oklahoma 57, opponent nothing. These games are 48 to 31. They're 57 to 42. It is what it is, and so we have to get used to that, that 24, when your offense is going as fast as it does, that might be a good number for the defense. It might very well be. It might very well be. And I know, I mean, your defense, how many points you give up in the fourth quarter of your senior year or whatever that stat is? We gave up zero points in the fourth quarter, and we gave up 7.6 points a ball game over 12 contests. Yeah, so two FSU games now, opponents are scoring more than what you guys gave up in a whole season defensively. 
It's a different game. It's a different game. Uh, and we're here to give that perspective to you folks. That's Keith Jones. I'm Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday at 6 with Front Row Knowles. So long, everybody.